0: Hey guys, this is Will with that special episode, I promised you. So we've got an interview with myself I- interviewing Christopher Skinny K Moran. And he is an artist, does an awesome series that I am probably gonna be trying to grab myself just because it's it's an awesome cool kung fu style story. Uh, So, of course, the title of the story, of course, is Peerless. And so, if you want to get in on this, I hope you will. I hope you'll check him out. Uh, In the description, in the episode, you'll see the links to his website and everything that you can go to and check out Peerless, along with other things he's done. He not only does comics, but he also does music. So, you can get a chance to check that out as well hope i hope i hope i hope i hope that you'll go check them out thank you so much for rocking with us on this special episode of conversations about dot 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 and above all else do me a favor be blessed be a blessing to somebody guys take care all right we're live all right so I had to wait for the little thing to tell me i'm live so that's a good thing <laughs> So, hi, this is Will. I get the awesome opportunity to interview another person that's on the tale, the 101 Tales, 101 Tales, with us. That's going to be on us during the course of the days of November 17th through the 21st. And you'll get to come in and stream. It's absolutely free to get involved and get to hear some awesome stories from some different people from all walks of life. And Chris is another part of that. So, first things first, Chris, say hello to the lovely people.
1: Hi, everybody. So glad to be here and excited to be a part of 101 Tales.
0: All right. I see you got your Day of the Dead shirt on there. I do. Well,
1: it's not just, uh, you know, a fun decoration or fun T-shirt. It's also the inspiration for my company. So, Sombrero Brothers
0: Productions. All right. Well, that's pretty groovy. That's pretty cool. Sombrero Brothers. Now, do you all a Sombrero?
1: I do. Um, It's behind the magic curtain here. Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Don't worry about that. (laughs) All You said you own one. That works for right. me. I don't need you to like, need you to be like, let me go grab it out the back. Hang on. Right. No, we're good. All right. So Chris, one thing I always love to do when I'm interviewing people is I like to get everybody's origin story because I understand that not everybody, you know, crashes on Earth with meteors coming behind them. And then all of a sudden, you know, they grow up and Earth's Yellow Sun hits them and all of a sudden they become Superman.
1: Right.
0: You know. And not everybody, you know, lands on an alien planet from another planet and ends up being Goku bumping his head and forgetting stuff. (laughs) So we'd like to just get to know a little bit more about the people. So talk talk to us a little bit about your origin story. What things did you grow up enjoying? What things did you geek out to as a kid? What things maybe you even geek out to now?
1: Oh man, you you just opened up a a monster can of worms, like very multiple layers of different kinds of worms. Uh, let's see, um, I I grew up here in the Cleveland area, and um, I I would say from a very young age, uh, music played an important part in my life. It was something that um, Uh, My mother had music on all the time when I was growing up. And so many of my earliest memories are associated with different kinds of music, whether that's different songs or. um, And I I had a pretty healthy um, imagination growing up. Uh, I used to um, play in my room. I had a tape recorder and I would record radio shows. So I would, uh, uh, you know, I would listen for uh, Janet Jackson song, and, and I would like, I would do my own announcement for the Janet Jackson. Coming up next on uh, WMMS here, we got Janet Jackson. And then I would like wait patiently for the radio station to play Janet Jackson and then like press record right beforehand. And I would like assemble radio okay. this way. Um, read comics when I was a kid and uh, part of that, uh, that 90s movement when you had the Jim Lees and the you know, spawn and image comics coming out and stuff. And then definitely got into collecting books then. And, um, have been a big Batman fan. I, I saw Batman 89, uh, on family vacation, like begged my parents to take me to see it. I was definitely too young for that movie, but they took me anyways. So. <laughs> um, and, God. uh, it was, uh, so I just growing up, I, I was just really curious about lots of things. And, um, when I was 10, I started playing the trombone. I've got my, my trombone here just off camera. Okay. And um, and music became my passion. So I um, I studied music in, in college and then moved back to Cleveland after finishing that and started a career in music. Um, I've been in a number of bands in Cleveland and a freelancer in Cleveland. Uh, if you check out my website, SkinnyKMusic.com, you'll see lots of uh, recording projects I've done, and, and i really just... Done the. I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunities to record reggae and hip hop and uh, brass band and and Afrobeat and classical music. I I did a concert once. It was uh, traditional Indian music. I just all different kinds of styles of music. And um, so in 2017, I was writing music for what I was thinking is going to be like a, a solo album. And um, in addition to playing the trombone, I play a Chinese instrument called the guzheng. It's a 21-string zither that you pluck and, and bend the strings. And um, so as I was combining this kind of hip-hop feel with the funkiness of my trombone playing and then the guzheng, I was like, you know, this sounds like a, a soundtrack to a 1970s kung fu movie that just never got made. And, um, you know, I was like, I, I think I need to f- – flesh out the story like I want to know where the story is and so I did and I was like you know I I like this story I I think I want to take it to the next step and I thought well do I write a screenplay I don't know anybody in Hollywood nobody's going to give me the time of day Um, but I love comics and I and I know people who make comics so maybe I write a comic script and I never written a comic script before, so I read a bunch of books and, and followed the, the notes and wrote my outline and did my my original draft. And you know, I, I I got my master's degree here in Case Western Reserve. It's a it's a big research school. And if I learned one thing from that program, it's that uh, you need to seek out people to tear your work apart and poke holes into it if you're yeah. if you're going to make it better. And so I reached out to um, Nick Macari, who um, is a great writer and editor. And uh, I said, hey, tear this apart and uh, tell me what I could do better. And he did. And then he came back and he said, um, hey, like, this is a really great story. I, you know, it takes place in the South Bronx and I grew up in the Bronx. And so uh, maybe consider taking me on as a co-writer. And um, I was like, you know, as a first time writer, having a, guy with experience come on board and want to write the book with me, I was like, yeah, this is a, this is a great opportunity. And so Nick and I fleshed out the whole story and we, we outlined everything. And then we, uh, we, we wrote all eight issues. So all eight issues are written and, uh, we had a successful Kickstarter for issue number one and it's done. It's been drawn by the amazing Pablo Papino and colored by Will Quintana and lettered by, uh, Rob Jones and they all did a fantastic job it's being printed now and you know like three years ago this was me sitting at a computer listening to some music going hey maybe this is an interesting story and now here we have a comic book done and uh it feels like one of the most significant creative accomplishments of my I don't know 25 years of being a creative person it's, it's amazing
0: Okay, now see you. You had my curiosity when you started talking about music, yeah, like that. You had my interest when you started talking about seventies kung fu flick. So <laughs> tell me about this project you worked on, and have the first book out and printing, and I'm sure you'll be kickstarting other issues of the book as you go.
1: Yeah. So um, if you go to my website, you can actually hear three of the songs that I wrote that inspired the story. So there's um um. Uh, I was writing these songs, and and I was just like, I, you know, I like the Lalo Schifrin music from the '70s. He did uh, uh, "Entered the Dragon" uh, score, and uh, I like the uh, Willie Hutch soundtracks for um, um, the black exploitation films that came out in the '70s. Uh, Isaac Hayes wrote an incredible funk music, and um, you know, I've had a lot of experience making music in this style, funk music. I, I spent my whole undergrad studying jazz and, and have you know, um, the brass band I was in, Revolution Brass Band, kind of combined um, funk and jazz and New Orleans brass band style. So, so this is music that I've always been interested in, and it's something I feel very passionate about and have a strong connection to. And I took that interest, and, you know, when I was a kid, on Saturday, you'd watch cartoons, and then here in Cleveland, they would have like the B movie reel afternoon. And often it was like Godzilla movies, but every once in a while, there'd be a Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movie, uh, Enter the 36 yeah. Chambers, you know, uh, Five Deadly Venoms, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when I was a kid, you watch those and you hear the sound effects and, and the bad uh sinking of the the dialogue with the, the the actors, and you know it was so much fun I would go hang out with my friends afterwards and we'd be i will destroy you with like kung fu you know you're trying to do the bad lip reading with it and uh you're doing the kung fu moves and stuff and um uh, it was just super fun right like mm-hmm. and so when when this story came about i just um i i drew on all of that enthusiasm from my childhood for. The genre and and for those movies and uh, and then my experiences as a musician and you know in investigating and being curious about the the roots of early hip hop and the funk music to influence that and you know the Bronx is so fascinating in the late seventies it's like this hip hop's so fascinating it's like this this creation this American creation but it started in this neighborhood with these groups of people and you know, when you think about a neighborhood and how small it is, no matter how many people are in the neighborhood, it's still just a, you know, a few miles to think that this collaboration between people with different interests would create something that's now just like, what would the world be without hip hop now? Like, I don't even know, you know? And and So it was, I don't know, all these things kind of just got thrown into a blender and I just had so much fun finding the interconnectedness. And I know, by the way, our story takes place in the summer of 1977, uh, which is the blackout of 77 in New York City. And we may suggest an alternative explanation as to why there was a blackout in New York City in 1977.
0: Okay. Now, see, it's funny because when you're talking about this, I see like, okay, for those of you who don't know kids, uh, right. there's a show called The Get Down that right. talks a lot about the history of what Chris is talking about. Then, of course, there are other documentaries out there. Of course, you got, you know, the sides with Grandmaster Flash and their crew. You got Africa Bambada over here. You've got, and there was one other DJ, if I'm not mistaken. I can't think of the name right now, but there were kind of three DJs that kind of ruled that area of the world. We had mark.
1: to talk about DJ Cool Herc. I mean, because. DJ Kool Herc, there you know.
0: go. Absolutely. And so you had these three DJs kind of doing their thing. And this, this was real life. This happened. You know, so before you had, you know, Run DMC, before you had LL Cool J, these were the pioneers right. that hip hop was built on. Right. And so yeah. then you go one step further. And I mean, I know RZA, you know, of course, with the Wu-Tang Clan, it's talking yeah. about how, you know, that, that hip hop was kind of framed from the world of, of the Kung Fu martial arts split because there were so many things that that it that people took from those and incorporated into hip-hop. Even before you get to the Wu-Tang Clan, there's another fun document. Netflix has been my thing for a while just because it's been most of our things for a while. Uh, there is, I believe it's called Lightning Kicks and Punches that's a documentary that's out there. Mm-hmm. It's about like some of the dances that were going on in the area, stuff like the Windmill and things like that. Oh, yeah? It was the idea of clans challenging each other. So then you had the breakbeats that were there, that were established mm-hmm. where you know, these different DJs develop different ways of mixing and scratching and putting things in to extend out that one part of the song that was the best part of the beat. And so you would be extended sometimes for minutes, you know, and and you'd go and then you'd switch it up and do the next set, you know, but that was the thing. For a DJ, a set for them is like 30 seconds or less. And you got to make that thing flow for a long period of time. And so when you go back and listen to some of that older hip-hop stuff that was like mixtapes, precursor to mixtapes, because we didn't really right. call it mixtapes. It was just tapes. You know, tapes <laughs> were going out all around, and they were just flying around, and were people were people traveling. You even had policies. Like, if you lived on this side of town, you couldn't bring a tape recorder to the other side of town and to record their stuff. Right. Like, if you were caught, that was like, you were banned from the area. Like, it was, they took it seriously. And so to imagine taking that and doing, like, I'm seeing Samurai Champloo. I'm seeing Afro Samurai. I'm seeing, you know, the get down. It's like, it sounds like this, like if we mashed all that up and then created a product out of it and then said, here you go.
1: I think, um, so there's a little bit of, um There's another layer to the way the story was developed. Okay. In that, um, you know, uh, first of all, if you haven't seen it yet, check out the uh, Bruce Lee documentary on ESPN. I think it's called Like Water. It is awesome. It is.
0: That's a new one? Because he had one out about 10 years ago, I think. had It's a new one.
1: Yeah, it's a new one. ESPN just released it. I don't know how recently, but I watched it this summer. Um, after I finished the Chicago Bulls doctor, documentary, I was like, right, oh, right. one. I gotta watch that." You know,
0: exactly because you go from yeah. Michael Jordan to Bruce Lee, like two experts in what they did. Right. And away, way continue. <laughs>
1: exactly. So, um, all right. So, so when I thought that I wanted to do a kung fu story, I was like, oh, right, well, where am I going to draw inspiration from?" And you know, Bruce Lee's a pretty logical first step when you think about the the big stars of of kung fu and. So I, I did some research on him and that's how I found out about Wing Chun. And of course that's, you know, there's been all the Ip Man movies made. Um, and um, <clears throat> he told a story about the, the the development of Wing Chun. So going all the way back to Yip Wing Chun, uh, who is a woman who uh, learned this style of combat to, um, you know, she's not as strong as a man, so how can she use the strength of a man against him to overcome uh, any attacks that she might face? That was fascinating to me. And so I thought, well, this this seems interesting. I, there's, there was a movie that was made about Wing Chun, and, and um, Michelle Yeoh, I think, uh, played uh, in Wing Chun. Um, <clears throat> but there haven't been a lot of female kung fu... Uh, main characters and I thought, well, this might be an interesting thing to explore. And then because I was writing funk music and and there was a strong influence of early hip hop and and the funk music to influence that in the recordings I was making, I was like, well, what if we put this female protagonist in New York City in the 1970s? What significant things happened in New York City in the 1970s? Oh, there was the blackout of 77 oh which also coincides with the beginning of hip hop all right so let's what happens if we put a, a female kung fu master in new york city in the bronx in 1977
0: mm-hmm.
1: well what what's the background for this for this person i mean why would a chinese woman be there well maybe she's not chinese maybe maybe she's from the bronx and so now we have a, a black kung fu master in the bronx in 1977 And, um, you know, it just kind of, it was like every step of the research I did before actually writing the story alone kind of opened up all these different areas of exploration, uh, which I used to develop the story. And and I think that's one of the things that helps make the story be so original. Yes, you're right. Like I pulled a lot of influences from Shaw Brothers and from Bruce Lee and from, you know, uh, the Warriors. I love that movie. We have a lot of you know crazy gangs in in our uh, in our story, um, but it's the, the it's the the development of the idea combined with all of those influences that makes the story unique. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in that situation too. One of these interesting because you mentioned you know now she's a black woman instead. And so now I thought about like coffee, uh, Cleopatra Jones and and some of the characters that Pam Greer played in some of the Black exploitation films as well. So that's really interesting. So when you talk about the story, how far out have you gone into it? And have you, do you have an end already in mind? Have you already written the end? Or is there more to expand out to?
1: Um, Well, let me first of all say, you can't, write a strong black female character from the 1970s without at least referencing something about Pam Greer. And it also just happens that Willie Hutch wrote an incredible soundtrack um, for, um, um, I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, See, Roy Ayers did Coffee and Willie Hutch did It wasn't cleopatra jones it was one of the other ones that pangrera was in um i'm gonna hit myself it'll come to me later but um so how far did i investigate this story well uh we've nick and i wrote the complete story arc we have eight issues written on this comic book and with enough interest from readers and a little bit of financial luck, we'll get the opportunity to print all eight of those issues and you'll get a full story um, about um, Peerless, Kiara Moore in the Bronx uh, fighting off the Tiger clan. And, uh, uh, but when I wrote this, before Nick and I even started working together, I did develop a whole backstory for all of the characters involved. And so uh, one of the main characters in our story is Valentine. He runs a bar in town. He takes in kids off the streets and teaches them discipline through Kung Fu. Uh, I did Valentine's complete backstory. So he's a Vietnam veteran who wasn't ready to go back to America after the war. So he decided to go um, exploring Asia. And that's how he found the Fists of Fate who are the, the keepers of the peerless fist. And then he, t- learned with them. And then he eventually moved back to New York and that's the influence he has on, on the kids in the neighborhood. And then there's the fists of fate. And there are five different people in that group. What are their backstories? I developed each one of their backstories as well. The the beginning of issue one has this introduction about the Wing Chun Scroll, which is a concept I developed uh, with a band I was playing with. The idea that Uh, the fists of fate have recorded the history of the organization on this scroll and peerless is just one chapter in that scroll of Mm -hmm. hundreds of years of stories so you know i'm would be over the moon excited if we get our eight issues done but if people really like the story our story ends and another story begins i won't say too much because it will give away Plus, right, but we
0: don't definitely want to give away to
1: Continue after our eight issues is done. Plus, there's all the background stuff that I've been researching and thinking about for years. So, this really could become <clears throat> what, like Jeff Lemire has done with Black Hammer, where you've got all these different, you know, storylines and and things you mm-hmm. can develop from one from one uh, base story. For him, it's Black Hammer. For me, it's uh, it's Peerless.
0: Okay. Well, that sounds really groovy. Uh, to fit with the 70s theme. uh, It's totally out of sight situation there. And so now I'm going to ask another question because normally I would ask the question, you know, what artists or what writers inspire you? But since you talked about the initial inspiration being music, Mm -hmm. I'm going to flip that a little bit. What music, other than the music you've already mentioned, inspires you as you continue to do the work? Because I know as you're doing the work, there's going to be more... has to be more like you could, yeah. You could tell me right now, like you, you love the JBs and the JBs influence or something like that. And I would totally be like, okay, that makes sense. I hear that in what he's talking about, for example. So, I mean, there's other musical things that inspire you as you're working.
1: Well, um, it's, it's not ironic that you mentioned the JBs. Fred Wesley was the trombone player and the band leader for the JBs. Uh, he was also, um, the musical director for James Brown's band. Um, He was uh, the musical director for Parliament Funkadelic. And uh, as a trombone player who's played a lot of funk music, uh, Fred Wesley is a huge influence on me. Um, uh, I don't know about this story, but he certainly introduced me to a a lot of that music by just Mm -hmm. saying, well, what else has he he recorded? What other JB albums are there, you know? Um, So Fred Wesley, huge influence James Brown obviously um such a important part of early hip-hop culture the creation of of break beats like you were talking about earlier um so many of his songs had that drum break in the middle that the DJs extended and you know the b-boys got down to so um I really got into Willie Hutch as I was writing music for this book and um I like the stuff that he did uh, for the Mac. It's a great soundtrack. Um, I like uh, the uh, music that was written for Spaghetti Western, so Ennio Morricone stuff. Uh, Just that really low, gutty guitar. I love that sound. And um, I really like the way that um, uh, Quentin Tarantino used that music uh, in the Kill Bill movies. Although I think that. um, one of the Wu Tang members was a part of that soundtrack too.
0: That was, that was Risa.
1: Yeah. So, um, so what they did with those movies uh, was very influential as well. They, they used so many different styles of music in such incredibly effective ways uh, to help tell that story. I, you can't avoid that. It's, it's so good. And then, um, I'm trying to think. I made a playlist <laughs> as I was writing. I was like, I want my songs that are going to put me in the right frame of mind as I write this book. Um, and, uh, you know, because I play the Gujang and the Gujiang's an influence on that as well. That's the Chinese element of the music I've written. Um, I've got some music on there. Um, there's a couple uh, Wu Fei has done some interesting stuff. She's more kind of like an experimental Gujang player. And then there's a um Gujang player, I think she's out of San Francisco, Bebe Hu. And she does um she's worked with DJs. So it's like Gujang and DJ and and some interesting stuff going on there too. So um but listen, there are some writing influences as well. I mean, uh Brian Wood's work on DMZ was a huge influence on me. He really did an amazing job of talking about New York as a New Yorker. And, you know, I've never lived in New York. I have friends who live in New York. I've visited New York more than any other town or city in in the world um, since I was a kid. And I've had the opportunity to perform there. I love New York. It's a fascinating place to me. And so when I read DMZ, I I just really liked the approach that Brian Wood took. And that was a a big influence on on my take on the story. And then I was just like, yeah, I kind of want that. You know, you want, if you know New York, it's not the New York now of, you know, Disney stores and, and candy, and you know, M&M stores on, on Times Square. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was, you know, dirty and, and we were walking down the street and I saw a kid breaking into a taxi. And, you know, <laughs> my dad was a police officer. I was like, Dad, aren't you going to do something? He's like, just keep walking, son. Wow. Uh, so I, I remember those those, those uh, times in New York City, and <clears throat> there's something, I think if you talk to Native New Yorkers, too, they, they often have fond memories of when New York was not gentrified, and it was rougher. You know, you had to be tough to live in New York City back in the day.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you, you consider everything from West Side Story and those things that That New York inspired, you know, you think about, you know, you talked about Batman earlier, Mm. you know, and I think the way a lot of people in DC describe Batman, describe Superman and Batman, they say, well, Metropolis is high New York, you know, area at about 2.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) It's bright, sunny, you know, festive. People are out walking, you know, you you a, a, a lady will a lady will be trying to an older lady will walk across the street, a guy will stop, you know, put his coat down, you know, to <laughs> over the puddle for her to walk over. Gotham City, on the other hand, is the other side of New York at like midnight. Right. Where there's not a whole lot of light, you don't want to be out. Because if you're out, it's already too late. <laughs> And so it's kind of interesting how that level of New York, that school of New York, has, has shaped a lot of pop culture. And then, you know, you think about now, even with you and the work and everything. So do us a favor, quickly tell us, first of all, where we can find your works and things like that. And, and then even how to support you. I know you're talking about doing another. I don't know if you've got to Kickstarter going. Or if you're gonna be starting another Kickstarter for the next issue, so
1: we uh we ran a successful Kickstarter campaign uh back in July and August, and um we we were very uh we we had like over 200 participants, which uh, for you know for a beginner for like for me to have 200 people who've never read anything that I've written before because I haven't written anything before this say. Hey, your concept looks really cool, and the artwork looks great. Yes, I, I'm going to back you. Uh, that was huge for me. So, um, so, so, thank you, first of all, anybody who supported our Kickstarter, thank you very much for for supporting us. We really appreciate that. Um, you can find, you can purchase a digital version of the book right now if you go to my website, skinnykmusic.com, and click on uh, the digital store menu. Uh, it will take you to a place where you can purchase a digital version of, uh, of uh, Peerless. And then the print version is coming soon. Uh, it's in the print shop right now. And I'm hoping to get a delivery next week uh, so we can start fulfilling our Kickstarter rewards and then also uh, start selling physical copies of the book. For anybody in Cleveland area, we're going to be trying to get it out into as many comic book stores in uh, the 216 as we can. Uh, For everybody else outside, you can order a copy on my website, skinnykaymusic.com, or um, um, well, I guess that's that's kind of the main place you can be able to purchase it for right now. Um, And we're already working on book two. I mean, Pablo, who did the artwork for book one, uh, Pablo Pepino and I have been talking about what the look of book two might be like, and starting to strategize for that and think about a timeline for production and, but we got to sell some books. So we got to yeah. <laughs> do that first. One thing at a time.
0: Definitely. 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 So you'll be telling, you'll be sharing on the 101 tales. You'll be sharing some stories from that world, correct?
1: Yeah. So I've uh, decided to take the first issue and um, I'm not going to read the, the script because that would be a lot of instructions to an artist that, people would probably be bored by. So I'm um, putting it into a um, a, a slightly different format so that it's a little bit more compelling in the uh, being narrated for the 101 Tales event. And then I guess I'm hoping that there's an opportunity to talk a little bit about my story, which I hope is inspiring to people who want to create comics. Um, The idea that you just need to do it if you want to create something just just go do it like just read do your homework write every day make connections go talk to people take chances uh, i'm i'm the i'm the poster boy of of the person who just was like i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna take it one step at a time and i'm gonna do my due diligence and and it's it's been an amazing experience, and I, I truly hope that this is just the start of a career where I get to tell not just Kiara's story, but all the other stories that I have in my, my journal waiting to be shared with the world. So, mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, Chris, listen, thank you so much for sharing with us, taking your time out of your day and night to share a little bit with us, and we can't wait to hear more of her story as well as your story on 101 Tales. This November, the seventeenth through twenty-first, you'll be able to get involved. They'll have links and stuff available for you to go to check that out, because we want you to be able to sit down each night during that, grab a bowl of popcorn, and be entertained. So, and yeah. hopefully get in and and get some of this stuff so you can you can continue to spur the creation of these great stories that are being told. So well,
1: I, I and if I could add to that like I've listened to some of the other introductory videos for participants for 101 tales and I'm just blown away by the 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 variety of stories, different genres, different backgrounds of the writers. I mean, I really think this is going to be an exciting event for anybody who's interested in comics but also just anybody who's interested in Creation, like being creative and and the and creating stories, I, I, I'm really excited about this event, and I'm just honored to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, I am too. I understand that because you know, I you know, I got asked about it. I was just like, really me, you know? <laughs> it's just like, okay, I, I'm down for that, <laughs> you know. But I I greatly appreciate the opportunity. So, listen, Chris, thank you for joining us on this a little bit more in-depth dive on things. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And I can't wait to hear more from you as time goes on. So Facebook and everybody else, this is Chris Morin. This is part of his tales. So come join us for the rest of ours. Take care, guys. on.